It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing A-OK today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Oh, give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. And today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can pick up a copy of this book while you're watching or listening to the show. Really, what I mean, like right now. Just go to uh, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com and search Tom Molino. Or you can go to our website for a signed copy. Just click the book. And if you're looking to get more than uh, one copy, just drop me an email, billy at talkinboxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And, of course, the website, billycboxing.com. Uh, programming note, we will not be doing a show tomorrow. Uh, but we'll be back better than ever on Wednesday. And speaking of Wednesday, scheduled to join us, Boxing Hall of Famer uh, and my man, and also New Jersey Boxing Commissioner Larry Hazard, as well as the return of Alex Perpali and our blast from the past, which this week will be the one we were going to do last week, uh, former World Heavyweight Champion and Boxing Hall of Famer, as per request, John L. Sullivan. But uh, today, a little bit later, uh, we got... uh, uh, my man uh, Dax Khan scheduled to join us, give us his thoughts uh, on the uh, fights from this weekend. And uh, we'll be talking about that. Uh, also, uh, Deontay Wilder continuing to talk smack. Is anyone listening besides him? Is he doing it to convince himself? Is he doing it to try to sell tickets? I mean, we talked about last week how uh, the Barclays Center is still half the seats are available uh, for this uh uh, you know, big event, which is being deemed a big event anyway. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But before we get into the results, uh, our uh, thoughts, prayers, and condolences uh, go out to the uh, uh, family and friends of Scott Westgarth, uh, 31 years old. He won his fight uh, in uh, Doncaster, England, yes, uh, th- over this past weekend. And um, during a post-fight interview, uh, felt strange and ill. The interview had to be cut short, and uh, he was rushed to the hospital and uh, died shortly afterwards. So uh, uh, our uh, 
uh, prayers and condolences uh, goes out to uh, the family and friends of Scott Westgarth, another uh, death uh, uh, as a result of uh, the sport of boxing. Sad uh, when that happens, but uh, uh, in any event, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, fights from this weekend, uh, and first and foremost, uh, in the uh, Superfly, Superflyweight division, uh, saw Rungvizal Rung uh, improved to 44 wins, four losses, and one draw with 39 of his wins coming by knockout uh, when, he wore to, uh, when he fought to a majority decision over Juan Francisco Estrada in what I thought was an extremely uh, entertaining fight. The way the judges scored it, 114-114, and um, um, one, uh, uh, the other two had it, 117-111 and 115-113, in favor of uh, Saw Rungzaval. Uh I had it more, uh, I scored the fight 117-111 uh, in favor of uh, Rungzaval. I thought that he won the fight as much as I picked and thought that Juan uh, Francisco Estrada was going to come back. I, I thought, you know, unlike what they were trying to convince us on, on, on the broadcast, I thought Rungzaval won the fight to me. This guy is a vicious fighter. He's a vicious fighter. I, I can't, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm watching the fight Saturday night and I'm saying to myself, what's the best word? If I could come up with one word to describe this guy, what would it be? And, and to tell you the truth, the word that pops into my head is vicious. This guy's a vicious fighter. He works the body like no one else. Never seemed to get tired. They're saying, oh, he's running out of gas. I'm going, what, what fight are they watching? This guy's not running out of gas. Never changed the, the look on his face. Never changed anything. Was the same as he was in the first round as he was in the final. And uh, I thought he deserved the win. And um, uh, Juan, uh, uh, Juan uh, Francisco Estrada feels, who dropped to 36-3 and three with 25 knockouts, feel he won the fight. He said after the fight, I felt I won. I boxed and attacked the last three rounds. I don't know what the judges saw. I want a rematch. The problem is, what about the first nine rounds? Uh, and I'm not suggesting he lost all of them, but uh, I gave that. Uh, listen, they were disagreeing uh, with the broadcast, but I gave the most of the first six rounds, seven rounds, all to uh, uh, Rungzaval. I, I thought he was landing the harder punches, and you gotta count body shots. I'm sorry, you gotta count them. Joining me right now from St. Simons to get his thoughts, my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. This kid's vicious, Sal. Well, vicious and another word comes to mind, relentless. I mean, the guy, you know, was throwing punches. He was trying, and as you pointed out, he did work the body. And um, it was a great, great fight on some levels and uh, good exchanges. But, yeah, I gave a lot of those early rounds. I thought that uh, that he dominated as well. You know, he, he did enough to win the rounds, and he pushed the fight. He was great uh, countering and, and made, made it happen. So it was a good fight, good fight. But I did give him the victory. Yeah, I I thought it was a good fight, and then to tell you the truth, uh, you know, uh, Juan Francisco Estrada could have won the fight, but could have. Uh, the the truth of the matter is, is he didn't put his foot on the gas pedal until the second half of that fight. Now I don't know why a a team would orchestrate a game plan that is such a gamble like that. I get it when people say, oh well, this fighter's known to run out of gas in the second half of the fight, so maybe you want to. You know, not give him, give it your all in the first half. Let him run out of gas. But uh, there's too much risk going on. You can't, you can't count on a, a referee to, to score it the way you you think it's being scored. I mean, the bottom line, 
is why pussyfoot around? What? Why not? Why not take the fight in your own hands and get it done? I listen. If Juan uh, Francisco Estrada felt that you know he was robbed because he came on so strong in this in the last three rounds, I would be asking him this today. I'd be saying, well, wh what about the first seven, eight rounds, brother? Why why weren't you putting the foot on the gas then? You know what I'm saying? Why would why would a fighter risk? Losing on the scorecards by by ultimately devising a game plan, Sal, that really focuses on the second half of a fight. No, well, well, that's the whole thing. You know, you you can't always anticipate or expect if you're if you're going to think that fighter is going to be running out of gas. And and in hindsight, we'd be looking back at Muhammad Ali uh, when he fought Joe Frazier, uh, when he fought. Uh, um, uh, George Foreman and introduced the rope the dope to everybody. He felt that George Foreman he had a calculated risk that this guy never won past seven rounds and we're gonna we're gonna take him into the later rounds and we're gonna expose him and we're gonna we're gonna do what he did and you know that's that's on a different level uh, to some degree but uh, maybe not you know this guy thought he was gonna take him maybe into later rounds put on a put on a good show and close the show but um, it wasn't enough because I think. Uh, 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 sorry, they had had more uh, in him in those later rounds than uh, than uh, the other than uh, Estrada anticipated. Well, you know, just staying on that thought um, process for a second, and yeah, I mean, Muhammad Ali uh, incorporated the rope of dope, which really was a dopey move on his part. Didn't tell anyone, but but when you look at it, you know, the only way to successfully do something like that where you give up those early rounds is to win by knockout, Sal. And that's well, exactly right. what Ali did. I mean, <laughs> I mean because, you know, the, the, truth, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, Ali took a chance, but he knew that he had to win by knockout because he gave up those rounds in the beginning and you weren't going to win oh. it on the scorecards. You know, so if you're going to give up a fight, uh, give up uh, the early rounds, which I totally disagree with, but if you're going to do too. that, you got to clearly go for the knockout. And I'm not so sure Estrada was. I mean, yes, there were times he was landing some shots. But this kid, Rungs of Al, never stopped coming forward. And no, let me tell you. Relentless. When, no, that's, I, that's the word that came to my mind, Bill. Relentless. You're right. I just kept going. Re relentless, vicious. I mean, uh, yeah. he, I love this He fought kid. a nasty fight. That's what you got to do. you got to fight to win. You're not going to be Mr. Congeniality. Hey, you know, excuse me. Forget about it. You got to be rough and tough and be ready to win and turn it on. Well, I tell you what, the fight was entertaining, and yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch. And if you know, if th those are the kinds of fights that the fans want to see, I say give it to them. Why make them wait around? I mean, you have two big names, Estrada. You know, wasn't blown out of there, and no. uh, a rematch would be interesting to see. We saw what uh, uh, Rungzaval did in the rematch with uh, Chocolatito. And uh, he destroyed him in the second one. I, it would be curious to see how he fares uh, against Estrada if they would uh, meet again. Uh, also on that card, in a spectacular performance, and the fans were booing him, but uh, IBF uh, flyweight uh, world champion Donnie Nietes improved to 41-4. and four. Uh, I'm sorry, 41-1 and one with four uh, draws with 23 of his wins coming by knockout, and he picked up the 23rd uh, KO of his career. Uh, when he uh, took care of uh, business against uh, uh, Juan uh, uh, Revco, um, and uh, the the truth of the uh, the truth of the uh, uh, matter is, is that a short shot at the end uh, of uh, the sixth round 
put uh, Juan Carlos Rev- Revico in a, in some serious trouble. And for all intent and purposes, his corner sh- could have considered stopping the fight right then, uh, but they didn't. They let him come out for the seventh. It was clear that uh, uh, Juan was still in some trouble as he all of a sudden was putting on the Fred Astaire moves, uh, trying to get his feet. I mean, it was he was walking like Herman Munster, Sal. He couldn't put one foot in front of the other. And then, uh, you know, Nietes poured it on. I mean, uh, this was a guy that was really showing his skill set in terms of uh, what I would say sharpshooting. I mean, this guy was accurate and uh, precise with his punches. All of a sudden, he became a headhunter and uh, finished the show, dropped uh, Revco again. And uh, the referee was about to let him continue. He came up. He wasn't really responding to the ref, um, but uh, said he wanted to, to continue. And the ref was about to let him continue. But uh, rightfully so, uh, Revico's uh, uh, corner uh, said to stop it, and uh, the fight did not continue after that, uh, given Nietes uh, the win. Very uh, uh, impressive win, especially for a guy in that weight class as old as he was, like we talked about uh, on Friday, Sal. Absolutely. I do like those older guys when they come on and they show everybody how much they want to win. No, it was a good fight, entertaining fight, and yeah, Vete's uh, really uh, poured it on. He uh, closed the show in good fashion. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they talk about, uh, you know, the Filipino fighters, and, you know, obviously uh, Manny Pacquiao comes to mind. This guy uh, is not a Manny Pacquiao-style fighter. No. He, he doesn't come and, and just want to take your head off. He's more of a tactician, and um, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's enjoyable to watch, and I think that that's why – He's lasted as long as he has. And and he's a name that people, for some reason, don't give the credit. 41-4 and four with four draws. I mean, and you can make the argument that uh, those four draws uh, could have all been wins. But uh, also on that card in the super flyweight uh, division, McWilliams Arroyo uh, improved to 17-3 and three with 14 knockouts when uh, he won a uh, close decision over Carlos Kudras, who drops the third fight of his career. He's now 36-3-1. and one. Uh, the way the judges scored it, uh, one had it even, 95-95, uh, while the other two had it, 98-92 and 97-93 in favor of Arroyo. Um, I'm not so sure I agreed with this score, and I and I, I can't understand why it was so... I mean, I could see it 95-95, but, you know, the other scores, 98-92, 97-93, um, I, I, I don't know if I can agree with it. I, I wasn't ringside, so, so maybe I wasn't getting the feel of... Of the harder punches, Kujas uh, uh, just seemed like he should have thrown more punches. I'm wondering if he took McWilliams Arroyo lightly, Sal. Yeah, I think he may have. I because I, I look uh, I looked at that fight and I'll tell you what Arroyo uh, was uh, was coming on and he he was uh, throwing those punches in the pockets and uh, it, it was a good fight. And Kudras Kudras looked at, at moments a little tired or a little bit. I, I guess surprised about uh, you know uh, seeing how Arroyo was was uh, coming at him or so, so I, I think it was a good fight, an entertaining fight. I also agree with you. I think it was closer than the other two judges saw the fight, and uh, you know, would you say that that would have a a, a reason for a rematch? Um, you know, Kujas was was in a position. I mean, it seems like. He had everything going for him. Yeah, he did. And, you know, I mean, he, he lost a close fight. He, he was a champion. He lost the title. Then he lost another close fight. He's got the, the charisma. He's got the, you know, the, the fanfare. They, they seem to love him. But maybe he's not putting the, 
the work in the gym. I don't know. Maybe Arroyo uh, had the fight of his life that night. Uh, you know, there were times when I thought Arroyo was was done. You know, yeah. and uh, and all of a sudden he comes on and and he made it a fight. Uh, credit to yeah. McWilliams Arroyo for for you know making. Uh, Kudras kind of fight his fight. Uh, maybe that was why. I, you know, but we all get back to this judging, and you wonder, you know, if judge well, number one is judging with the same order of criteria as judge number two, and so on. But uh, hold sure. that thoughts out. We're gonna, we're gonna take a short break. We got one more fight to talk about. You, uh, myself, and uh, Dax didn't fare too well with our predictions this weekend. <laughs> no, and uh, I got I got another one to talk about uh, in about two. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I'm here right now with my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. We're going over the fights from the weekend. And uh, the one or the other ones that you and uh, Dax and myself were wrong on was the one we didn't get to watch on TV was uh, uh, Brian Valoria. I-, I figured this was a layup for Valoria, Sal. Um, they were giving him a, uh, a uh, vacant title shot. And they put him up against a guy I knew nothing about, our team, uh, Delakian. And um, Delakian won the fight. Not only did he win the fight, Sal, he kind of battered uh, Brian Valora. Uh, 118 109 was the way all three judges scored the fight and uh, beat him up pretty bad, especially uh, at the end of the 11th. It looked like um, it was it for Valoria. He finished on his feet. Uh, but uh, this very well may be the uh, the end of Brian uh, Valoria. It looks like now uh, Delikin uh, uh, may uh, go on to uh, get a shot against Donnie Nietes. What's your thoughts? No, I think that you know it was a big surprise. I uh, I wish we could have seen the fight. And I'll tell you what, though, I uh, I'm a Donnie uh, Nietes fan, and I'd like to see uh, see that fight and see uh, see what happens. That would be a good fight. Uh, some other fights that uh, took place, I'll just touch real quickly. Uh, in the World Boxing Super Series, uh, Callum Smith improved to 24-0 with 17 knockouts when he won a close decision uh, over Nikki Holskin. Uh, at the end of the fight, uh, Holskin said, I, I thought he would. I, I thought the fight would have been tougher, but he did, good, he did a good job behind his jab. Congratulations to him, but I will be back. Callum Smith says, I'm looking forward to the final, referring to the World Boxing Super Series. Uh, Groves is the one everyone wants to beat. He's the number one seed, and uh, that's the fight I wanted. Well, he's got it. And uh, George Groves was ringside. He says, uh, I've had uh, two great wins. This is the first, uh, this is the fight people wanted to see. I need to get in the ring and win that trophy. It's exciting to see your opponent fight live. I can't wait to get back in the gym. This is going to be an explosive final. I don't expect it to go the difference, distance. I'm, uh, of course, very confident. So uh, that's uh, what we got for the uh, super middleweight uh, final for the World Boxing Super Series. And um, 
some other fights. Remember we were talking, uh, by the way, Flip uh, Hrogovic uh, won. He improved to 4-0. So did uh, David Dubois uh, on the undercard. But there was a fight, Sal. Last week we were talking about it. Everyone's saying, oh, Billy C., you had a great idea, a great idea. I think uh, they already thought of that. Uh, Richard Schaefer already thought of it because what they had uh, billed as a World Boxing Super Series super middleweight substitute fight uh, former interim champion uh, Dmitry Chodovov improved to 21-2 and two with a couple of draws when he scored an eight-round unanimous decision over Sarari Kamenitsky, <coughs> who, uh, excuse me, was a late substitute. He drops to 30 wins, 15 losses, and three draws. 78-73 across the board. So maybe they do have another tournament within a tournament uh, going on to keep uh, uh, these guys uh, fresh. Well, yeah, we hit on it, and you scratched the surface, and I think uh, you know we'll see what's happening. We'll be see, see what's going to be revealed, and uh, who knows? It might be just that kind of operation. Um, I uh, wanted to talk uh, uh, about uh, uh, this whole thing with uh, Deontay Wilder. I got some emails to read and stuff, but Deontay Wilder, I stopped. Uh, as of last week, I stopped uh, – uh, reading uh, all the rhetoric that's flowing out of his mouth, you know, he says, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk anymore. I'm gonna let my rain." But, but he hasn't shut up, and he's still uh, talking smack. Uh, my question is: Is anybody really listening? We know that the uh, ticket sales are extremely slow. Uh, there's just about half the seats are still available, from what uh, I saw uh, this morning. I went and checked the uh, uh, Barclays uh, ticket office. Uh, it, it appears that, uh, uh, you know, there's half the seats still remain. I wonder if that's a direct reason, Sal, because he's not a drawer or because people don't think it's going to be a competitive fight. Um, what's your thoughts? And what's your thoughts with him still talking smack? Is anyone really listening to him? That, that's my question. Aside from himself, I mean, he's saying stuff like he's really scared, he's going to kill this guy, and... You know, uh, people don't understand that he's, you know, he's vicious, he's this, he's that. You know, he's a whole lot of nothing, in my opinion. Uh, you and I, I know we have differences about Deontay Wilder. And I think we're, we're in store to see the best Deontay Wilder ever. I, I still think he's got what it takes to, to maybe, maybe show us or do and rise to the occasion, as I like to say, and put on a great display. And I think he's going to go through Ortiz like a ripsaw. And, uh, you know, if this is his way of maybe doing a shock appeal or trying to promote the fight and things, why not? I mean, I, I, I think, I think he's, he's a lot better than what we've seen. And I think he can do a, do a hell of a job against anybody. I, I think he's in the fight. He's in the game. He's in the fight. And Deontay Wilder, you know, maybe talking smack is the, is the shock appeal he needs to, to maybe promote the fight. And, uh, uh, I can cut him some slack there very easily um, because the ticket sales have been maybe underperforming or expectations are not as where they should be. I don't know. But the bottom line is I think he's going to be like a buzzsaw and rip through this guy. And uh, I still think we are yet in store to see the best Deontay Wilder uh, put on a good display. The guy's dangerous. I, in my mind, the guy can do some big things in the ring. Well, and that's where you and I have, I guess, a little difference. I, listen, I want to see him do big things in a ring, I but I, I mean, you know, when you take a look at at, at his, you know, uh, 
You know, I've dissected his resume a hundred times. I know you have. And, I know and you. you know, I, I happen to have it in front of me, as a matter of fact, believe it or not. And, you know, I look at his fight. Yes, he's 39-0 and 0 with 38 knockouts. Even if he was fighting, you know, Santa Claus for, for 39 fights, you would think that Santa Claus would land a lucky punch. Uh, so I give him credit. I mean, you know, to win 39 fights, 38 by knockout, regardless of, of who you're against. But when you really look at his resume, the only fighters you can really, I mean, I mean, listen, the Audley Harrison fight back in 2013, the Malik Scott fight back in 2014, and quite honestly, uh, the last fight that he fought against Berman Stavern, all really stink of fixes. I'm sorry, I hate to say it, but they stink of fixes, especially the Audley Harrison fight, the Malik Scott fight, their bus buddies, uh, he didn't even land a solid punch with him. I mean, the wins I give him credit for, uh, I give him, uh, uh, you know, the, the first Berman Stavern fight, you got to give him credit for that, even though Stavern has proved to be a joke. But the ones I really give him credit for is Atur Spitzka. He knocked him out in nine. Uh, Spitzka was, you know, a, a decent fighter, not a world beater. Although Chris Ariola was 100% shot, he beat him in eight rounds. I give him credit for that. And although Gerald Washington really was never tested prior to his fight against Deontay Wilder, um, I give him credit for that. So you, you got three you names. You closed the door there, right well, there. Yeah, Boom. you got you got three three names, and none of them uh, jump out at you. You know, um, his last six fights, he weighed between 220 and 229 pounds. When you look at uh, Luis Ortiz, and he's ranked at number three, by the way. And, and by the way, Deontay Wilder is the one ranked at number three. He's got a three-inch height advantage over uh, Luis Ortiz. But the reach advantage is actually in Ortiz's favor. He's got a one-inch uh, arm reach, according to uh, BoxRec. But when you look at Ortiz... His last six fights or so, he's ranged from 230 to 242 pounds. So you wonder what kind of shape he comes in. Um, you know, really, his last real fight was 15 months ago. Uh, he went 12 uh, rounds with the same Malik Scott that I'm accusing of finding a soft place to lay down against Deontay Wilder. Uh, his best performance of the career, in my opinion, against Bryant Jennings. And in that fight, he weighed 239 pounds. You know, he weighed 242 and a quarter in his last fight against Daniel Mart. So I, I don't know what to think. You know, um, he did stop Burt Cooper and Zach Page, two extremely tough fighters. But they were real old, and that was during the first 14 months of his career. So really, we don't know what we're going to get with Luis Ortiz. I, I don't think that uh, Deontay Wilder is going to really have that much trouble with Luis Ortiz. It all depends on which Ortiz shows up, you know, but but the, the moral of my story here is that Deontay Wilder talking smack, Sal, reminds me of the sheriff in Blazing Saddles when when he's basically talking to himself. Oh, he means it. He means it. Everybody dropped the gun. You know, and, and and that's what Deontay Wilder's acting like. Oh, man, he's bad. He's this. He's that. And everybody's looking. Wait, wait a minute. Who's saying all of this? Deontay's saying it all. I, I don't know, man. Um, I, I, think, uh, I think the proof will be in the pudding on Saturday. Well, and that's it. It's, it's time to put up and shut up. You know, the bottom line is, uh, I think Deontay Wilder is going to rip through uh, Carlos uh, Ortiz. He's going to he's going to really. I, I think he's going to just just dismantle him and and probably make it a lot earlier of a night than than uh, than five rounds. We'll see. I could be wrong, but we'll see. 
Well, I think it's going to be a good display on Deontay Wilder's part, and uh, I think he's going to answer a few questions. I think uh, Ortiz will will try to surmount some type of offense and, and arsenal and maybe get uh, lucky with a couple good shots, but I think Deontay Wilder is too fast for him. I think Deontay Wilder is, uh, is going to come out there. He knows all eyes are on him, and I think Deontay Wilder knows he's got to rise to the occasion and put on a good display, and he's going to say, hey, I'm going to show everybody I'm the champion I am, and boom, and I'm going to do what I can do to, to, to look good doing it. That's it. Hold that. I, that's, that's what I'm anticipating anyway. Hold that thought. We'll be back in two minutes with a uh, different opinion of what Sal just said. Billy C will be right back. Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, just before we went to break, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola said the words that Deontay Wilder is just too fast for Luis Ortiz. You know, Sal, I, I really want to know how you think that because, I mean, I, I know what you're saying and, and I know your theory about the drunken octopus style and that those flailing arms are coming from everywhere and he's got the, the, the pop. I mean, nobody can deny that he's got some punching power. Um, but where's this hand speed you, you speak of? Because from what I know, hand speed really has been uh, – um, proven to us by fighters that are more technically sound because they they learn how to deliver their punches in a much more rapid and effective manner. I don't look at uh, Deontay Wilder as a speed uh, guy at all. I, I look at him as a, as a power puncher, no, nowhere near speed. Uh, explain. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm not saying he's the fastest puncher around. I, I'm just saying he, he has a delivery and he is sharper, crisper, I think when Ariel, who I think is slower, okay, uh, Ortiz, I'm sorry, Ortiz is slower, I think, you know, that's where, where I think the Yante Wilder is going to surprise him. When, when he sees, he can counter, he can snap, he can get inside and do those punches. And, and you know what? I have a lot of faith in, in Mark Breland as his trainer, as his mentor. And, you know, I, in my theory, in my mind, uh, knowing what fighters feel in their hearts or, or, or so, going in and preparing and wanting to show what they can do, I think we have yet to see the best Deontay Wilder we've seen, and we're going to see the best. We're going to see him grow, and, and I think over the next couple of fights, especially when he gets in with uh, Anthony Joshua, so I think we're going I think, to. I think it's going to be a great fight, and I think that um, uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but uh, I think, as I said, whatever has been under wraps, uh, I think he's going to be fighting at the level of his opposition. That's what I'm trying to say. 
Well, and that's I, dangerous to do that. That that's dangerous, and and I don't disagree with that. You can almost see him when he knows he's he's way better than his opponent. He just comes out and tries to take the head off, and that's what I watch for, Sal, because the best fight that he displayed any kind of a skill set, any kind, was his first fight against Vern, where he employed the jab, he 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 employed movement, uh, he was. Uh, he was very proficient in winning that fight, and that was the first and only fight that has gone the distance. However, since then, he's never gone back to that, not for anyone. And that's when some people have made some great points to me about the possibility of predetermined, predetermined endings because if he knows that he's not going to lose the fight, he's going in for an exciting type of a win. And the exciting type of a win is crushing knockout wins like he's been giving us. And I'm not suggesting that. Listen, I would love this guy to be half as good as he says he is. I just don't see it. And I, I tell you what, you know, Luis Ortiz, if he comes to fight, if this guy isn't totally coming for a payday and an, and an additional payday under the table and the ride off into the sunset – because that's what he came over on a coconut raft for, you know, to live here in the United States versus Cuba. Uh, if he's here with with a little bit of pride, the word we used last week, and wants to show that he can win the fight, I think he's going to give uh, Deontay Wilder some trouble. And I think that his boxing ability is going to uh, be trouble for Deontay because the guy knows how to counterpunch, and he's a little quicker than you think. You know, Luis Ortiz is not a slow fighter. He's got deceiving hand speed, especially if he's in the pocket. And I could see him, even though he's got the reach advantage, I could see him stealing some some uh, rounds with a jab and then getting in close when, when uh, Wilder gets frustrated. Wilder has never displayed what he does if somebody frustrates him. The only thing that I've seen him do, Sal, is when he does get hit, he gets all discombobulated. The guy does not like to get hit. You get in his face and land a couple of shots, I think we're going to see uh, a, a, a Deontay Wilder lose it mentally. I think all, all of the his own, the, the same questions we have, I think he has for himself, to be honest with you. Well, I think this will be a good test this weekend. And, and I really think that uh, Deontay Wilder, as I suggest, I don't think we've seen the best Deontay Wilder yet. And I think once the level of opposition is going to push him to that and going to give him a— He's got to fight a, them. A, sorry? He's, he's got he's to fight someone good. Well, I mean, and, and, and let's go back to, to, to look at that. He's, he's fought and he's beat everybody in his path that has been given to him. That's and, not, yeah, but he turned down a fight with Dillian White. He's turned down some fights with other better opponents. You know, I mean, or maybe not him, but his team. Well, and, and that's what I'm saying. We don't know the mechanics behind what's going on with the, with the, with the fights that are going to be solidified and made. Uh, and 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 like I said, I I I like the guy. Okay, I want to see him do well. I want to see him prove me right. I want to see him rise to the occasion and put on a good display because I do like the guy. He comes in the ring. He comes to fight. He comes to win. And uh, he's he seems to be a decent guy outside the ring. In fact, you know we'll 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 see. I think this is going to be a good test for him this weekend. And I think uh, if if he is pushed, if he is tested, I think he's going to rise to the occasion. I think that's the fighter in his heart. Uh, 
And I think we have yet to, that's why I keep saying, I think we have yet to see, have seen the best uh, Deontay Wilder. And I think we're going to be in store for for that over the next couple fights. That's all. Well, we'll see. And, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder, like I said earlier, uh, keeps, uh, you know, going to the uh, shooting off his mouth, basically. And, you know, talking smack. And he's he's going to do a lot of things talk, you know, based on his mouth. Uh, and one of the things he said uh, over the last uh, several days, weeks, whatever, is he keeps referring to Luis Ortiz as a cheat. And his uh, comment uh, last week on Friday um, was uh, actually uh, it, it was actually on Saturday. But he said, uh, uh, Wilder said, uh, once a cheat, always a cheat, referring to Luis Ortiz. As we know, uh, the fight had been scheduled uh, not once but twice. And both times uh, uh, the fight was uh, uh, canceled because of uh, a uh, positive test on Luis Ortiz's part. Uh, one time, it even got so uh, crazy that the team Ortiz thanked the WBC for for looking out for the health of of their fighter, which really makes me uh, that flag goes up for that. But um, Victor Conti, who we all know is a, an expert with PEDs, I mean, this was one of the main guys that uh, is p- p- keeping a lot of uh, baseball players out of the Hall of Fame. But he's got, uh, he's got, he's got the PED hotline. Right? Yeah, but, but you know, now he's working on the other side, you know, trying to yeah. help fighters, at least trying to help them beat the test. I don't know. But uh, uh, he uh, had some, uh, uh, some words for Deontay Wilder uh, based on what Wilder's saying. He says, uh, and this is Victor Conti, says, I don't believe Deontay Wilder knows anything about anti-doping. Quite honestly, I don't think Deontay Wilder knows anything about anything, but that's besides the point. Um, He says, I don't think Wilder's statement, once a cheat, always a cheat, is coming from an informed individual. He seems to know about as much about anti-doping as I know about skydiving, and I'm afraid of heights. Luis Ortiz has been tested seven times by VADA, as well as the New York State Athletic Commission. I've been assisting the Ortiz camp by helping their trainer with nutrition and training protocols. In fact, I've tested Ortiz's blood profile on two different dates and have not seen any of the markers that would suggest any form of drug use. The bottom line, I think Ortiz is a clean athlete and everyone needs to put this once a cheat, always a cheat stuff aside. I hope it doesn't become a distraction or a sideshow this week and that everyone can focus upon a great fight that's about to happen. My prediction is Luis Ortiz will do a great job and become the new heavyweight champion. Uh, wow. This is uh, Victor Conti. Um, you know, I, I've always said, Sal, uh, you know, Luis Ortiz does have talent. It was a fight I wanted to see Deontay fight two years ago. Um, and now it's happening now. You wonder about that marination. You wonder about them waiting until, uh, you know, the age thing. You wonder if there was another deal cut. There's so many question marks now. And even if Deontay performs well, there's going to be a lot of naysayers not giving him the credit. And I think that that might be a whole other obstacle that he's going to have to uh, overcome. Well, you know, we're going to always have that. I mean, look at look at your your stance and my stance, even with Larry Holmes, when Larry Holmes was fighting in, in his self-proclaimed shadow of Muhammad Ali. 
I mean, uh, there was nothing that Larry Holmes could do right to to those that were looking to see him not do uh, everything right. Uh, but in retrospect, Larry Holmes, uh, looking at his history and his fights and his opposition, I mean, the guy was great, and uh, and he did whatever he could do to 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 win. And and uh, uh, so I, I'm not trying to make a comparison, but like I said, I think uh, I think. We we're gonna see, and I think Deontay Wilder's comments. What I think he's meaning behind that, and again, it's just my opinion, Bill. But I think what he means behind that statement, once a cheat, always a cheat, is that if somebody has the mindset to look for some type of angle or some type of uh, uh, thing that that uh, is going to be tainted or, or not the thing that you're supposed to do if he's got that window of opportunity open where he did it once there's not saying that he's never going to try to go back to the well again i think that's what that i read into that statement but that, that you know like i said that's just my opinion well if I that mean, opportunity prevails itself i mean when when somebody um is is labeled uh, you know a cheater or whatever they're constantly looking at them you know, so, yeah. I mean, the same thing happened to Manny Pacquiao. People started uh, saying he was a, a PED user and then he was test more. The, the, thing I, the thing that bothers me is that there's clearly some favorites here um, in this uh, whole VADA testing protocol. Uh, we hear about one side being tested, but a lot of times we don't hear about the other side. So, I, I don't know. Uh, I try to yeah. – I purposely stay out of it because, um, I, you know, I, I just – I don't know enough about it, and I certainly don't want to spend hours and hours learning about it because, let's be honest, you'd have to, you know, to really, you know, aside from just commenting on reports, I'm not going to get deep into what, uh, you know, PED does, what it does, what it doesn't do, etc. cetera. But uh, no, got, a, got a couple of emails. Uh, this one's from Johnson. Uh, he says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I just want to make you aware of the events that unfolded on Saturday. Uh, at the Doncaster Dome in England, Scott Westgarth uh, won a 10-round decision against uh, unbeaten uh, Dex Spellman. Uh, the 31-year-old conducted his post-fight interview as normal, but was taken uh, ill backstage. A suspected bleed to the brain was the early diagnosis. Uh, as a result, the show was con cons uh, consequently canceled. I have not seen the interview, but the fans did notice that he was visibly distressed. Tra tragically, uh, Scott Westgarth passed away the next day in the hospital. Oh, wow. uh, tributes uh, have flooded on social media, in including uh, Westgarth's promoter, Steffi Bull, who organized Saturday's uh, show. Uh, and they tweeted uh, uh, their thoughts and condolences, as well as uh, Eddie Hearn. Um, you know, I, 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 it's unfortunate that this happened. Yes. Um, unfortunately, uh, in contact sports, there's always the possibility the athletes know the risk that they take. But the thing that really surprised me on this um, was that they canceled the whole show. Uh, that tells yeah. me that tells me that there was something else that made the reason. Because let's be real, they take a guy for observation to a hospital. Um, they don't know what the situation is until they get reports back. He didn't pass away until the final the following day. It sounds to me, now I don't know what the rules are uh, in England, but here in the States, especially, uh, you know, in most um, reputable states, uh, they require a, uh, you know, uh, ambulance EMTs to 
sets uh, on site. And the reason is in the event that a fighter has to be taken to a hospital via ambulance, stretcher, etc., um, there's another one there uh, to pick up the slack so that the show can continue. The only now I've been involved with with fights that were on you know less than stellar uh, controlled by less than stellar um, you know commissions here in the states where they don't require two and you have an injury that uh, sends the ambulance uh, away from the venue. The protocol is to wait until it gets back before you start the next fight. If you're in a state that doesn't have the requirements of having two on site. Now, I don't know what the rules are in England, but it seems to me, Sal, that the reason why the rest of this card was canceled uh, was due to some type of uh, instance like that. I mean, just sending a guy to a hospital for observation. And ultimately, we found out the next day that, you know, obviously uh, it was horrific that uh, that uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Westgar uh, lost his life. But uh, but leading up to that point, we didn't know it. So there has to be another reason. I mean, the way it's being spun now is that they canceled the show uh, because of the injury. And it just something doesn't add up to me. Well, from what the information you just shared with us, no, it doesn't add up to me either. And, you know, you made a great point. Yes, there's got to be a, a, an ambulance on hand. There's, yes, there's got to be. Uh, medical doctors ringside. Yes, there's got to be certain things that, that do tar- do count towards having a show continue. And if all these were swept away and, and everybody followed this poor gentleman to the hospital and uh, all eyes were on him, yeah, I, I could see if they didn't have another backup in reserve like you suggested, then the fight had to be canceled, which is foolish because they should always have, like you you said, uh, two ambulances or two medical teams or two something by backup just for this instance. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, that's the only thing I could suggest why the show may have been canceled. They didn't have that backup. And uh, it's a, that's a shame. And it's also a shame that this gentleman lost his life because uh, he was just doing what he was trained to do. And, uh, you know, you never know. You never know when that, that one last punch, you know, we, we, we saw you and I, we, we, we talk about it, the clack, the crack glass theory, you know. It may not be that fight that does it, but it might have been the fight prior or the training prior that softened up or, or, or uh, actually opened up the door to damage. And uh, as, as we saw with uh, um, uh, the fight uh, prior to uh, – uh, uh, you know what I'm trying to talk about. What was the fighter we saw? You're talking uh, about you and I watched Gene Fulmer and uh, yeah, Gene Fulmer, Benny Kid Perrette. Right. You 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 hit it on the head. I think uh, that that fight right there that he had with Gene Fulmer, Benny Kid Perrette, that was the one that set in damage, I believe, to when he uh, went on and he fought his uh, his next fight that he uh, never recovered from. Right, and you know that was a point that we made. That was one of our, in case you are new to the show, that's one of our uh, Boxing Revisited episodes. Uh, we uh, rebroadcast the uh, uh, vicious uh, fight vicious. between Gene Fulmer. You talk Fulmer. about vicious, relentless. Well, I, I, up to that point, you know, if somebody asked me what I thought was the, the, the best three round, the best, you know, round, best fight I ever saw in terms of brutalness, I would have said Hagler Hearns, and I've always said those were the best three rounds of boxing I ever witnessed in my life, especially live. Um, but when Sal and I did the revisited episode with uh, Benny Kid Perrette 
against Gene Fulmer, we had we had Hagler Hearns for ten rounds. We, and, yeah, and the yeah. and the uh, the interesting thing about that, and and the the topic that we discussed post fight, was that if that fight had taken place today, then they would have breached the sixth would, round. Well, that's a whole other story. And and God, and let's be real. Uh, Rocky Marciano, several of his fights would have been stopped. He would have never Absolutely. been undefeated. You know, Absolutely. The, the fight with Ezra Jersey Charles. Would have had him counting out. Well, the Ezra Charles fight, his nose Ezra was Charles. literally flapping on his face. You know, I mean, it was gruesome. Nobody, nobody could even look at it. And uh, they let that continue. But anyway, um, this particular fight, uh, the Fulmer uh, Benny Kimperet fight, if that fight would have taken place today, um, any commission would have not only suspended Benny Kid Perret, who ended up losing that fight via a knockout loss, which uh, I, I can't believe he got up the first time, but, um, you know, when uh, he lost that fight, any commission would have put him on no less than a 60-day suspension after the brutality of that particular fight, maybe even 90. But here's the other thing. They would have also put Gene Fulmer on a suspension yes, because yes. he took a severe beating. And, oh, by the way, uh, they let uh, Benny Kid Perret fight a couple of weeks later against Emil Griffith, and, and the rest is history. He died after that fight uh, on network television. Many people saw it in their living room. But the other part of the, the story is when you take a look at Gene Fulmer, uh, his career, he never won another fight after that. He lost his title. I believe against Tiger Flowers, had a couple of rematches with him, and uh, ended up retiring. So I mean, the 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 aftermath of that fight basically ended two careers and one life. You know, so uh, yeah. it was uh, it was very bad. So um, and those well, are realities of boxing that that we have to always be aware of and 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 take note of. I mean, that fight, as you and I pointed out while we were doing our our commentary over it. It was 10 rounds or 12 rounds or how many rounds of, of Hagler-Hearns. And, you know, the, the human body can only endure so much punishment. And that's, that's, uh, that's the theory. So we don't know if this gentleman over in England may have had either a tough sparring session or a tough fight prior or whatever it is. But I'm sure they may be looking into that now because who knows uh, the totality or brutality of, of, of one fight could have been from a prior fight or – Maybe this is the onset, and he just had, uh, as simple as it could be, uh, leakage or brain uh, bleeding and uh, and undetected, uh, unnoticed, um, until it was too late, where they can do things that they can uh, alleviate the, the pressure and and uh, take the necessary precautions to, to uh, save one's life. And uh, that was, you never know what's going on inside when you can't see. Um, just to make uh, a comment about a comment, uh, our official chat room that we look at and, and you know join in uh, the show is up on BillyCBoxing.com. And uh, my man New Rose said uh, Ledebev against Guillermo Jones. If if you haven't seen that fight, that was a brutal fight. But that was that was pretty much one sided. Guillermo Jones beat the living hell out of uh, Dennis Ledebev. And that was a fight that I could not believe the, uh, the, the ringside doctor did not stop. They, they kept letting Ledebev continue with that fight. Um, and, and then after the fight, they said uh, Jones tested positive. That was in Russia. But, um, but the, the brutal, uh, 
this guy was disfigured and everything. I mean, how they kept letting it. He, he, look at this guy. He's a, beaten to a pulp. And the, the ringside doc looks. He's okay. He's okay. I'm saying he's okay. He's okay. I've never seen anything like it. I, it was it was almost as bad as when they were doing physical therapy on the guy that fought uh, uh, Alexander Povetkin, who cracked his neck and he was stuck. You know, and they're working <laughs> oh, on him for 14 minutes. Uh, and then they said, "Okay, fight can continue." It's like what you just worked on this guy 14 minutes, you know. But uh, uh, anyway, only in Russia. I got one more uh, email, oh, and then we're going to take that, a break that, and that, get that. Uh, we're going to have to revisit a couple times. <laughs> oh man. But uh, my man Joel says, hey, guys, uh, will you be doing a post-fight show Saturday night after Wilder Ortiz? You know, I, I, I've been letting you guys down with the post-fight shows, and I apologize for that. It, it, it's something that we really want to do more of. The problem is, is that um, that particular fight, although I think it's worthy of a post-fight show, the problem I'm having is that HBO is broadcasting another fight during the same time. So the results of that won't be, uh, uh, you know, we'll get the result of the um, of the Deontay Wilder-Luis Ortiz fight. And then the um, Kovalev fight would still be going on. And that's not really a fight that's going to be competitive. But the first one will be the Bivol uh, against uh, Sullivan Barrera. You know, that's really a, a competitive fight. So... You know, I hate doing fights, um, a post-fight show, unless I have all of the data in front of me. So give me, uh, we're off tomorrow, uh, but we will make a decision uh, by Wednesday's show. So uh, um, hang tight on that one. I appreciate uh, that. Joel, keeping us uh, kick-started here, Sal, because uh, it's something that I really want to uh, do more of. And we promised everybody that we were going to do more of. And so far, after as soon as I promised, I've let them down. Well, it's not that you let them down, but that you, you make a good point uh, why uh, we may or may not be able to do one because we would like all the fight results. We'd like to be able to simultaneously see all these fights and, and uh, get on the same page as far as what you saw, what I saw, and what people want to call in or give their opinion. I mean, if we say, hey, we're going to do a 1 a.m. show uh, about all three results and see what happens, uh, I'll leave that up to you or if it's 12 o'clock or if it's whatever time we could all reconvene and, and say, hey, we're going to do the show at a certain time versus just six minutes after after decision uh, to get all the results in. But that's totally in your court and I'll, I'll be available for whatever you want to do. Right. And it's it's difficult because you make a great point. There's some other fights going on that night that we want to have uh, have some input and talk about. Well, we'll talk about it. Right. <laughs> Listen, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're scheduled to have uh, Dax Khan join us. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on the fights from uh, the weekend. So uh, don't go nowhere. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. 
And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, joining us right now to get his thoughts on the uh, big fights from this past weekend, my man uh, Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I don't know about you, but I thought Rungsval just looked like a vicious, relentless fighter. And I... As much as I liked Estrada and I picked him, just like uh, you and Sal and myself, we didn't do too well this week. But, uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I give him credit. He he looked good in the second half of the fight, but I thought the right guy won the fight. What was your thoughts on the whole fight? I, you know, I thought, you know, I was surprised, first of all, that Estrada was able to handle the power of Rungvisai uh, even early. Yep. You know, at the times he's most vulnerable, as we spoke about on Friday. Um, you know, Estrada did exactly what we thought he was going to do as the fight grew grew on. He became stronger. To me, a lot of that and a lot of those rounds was kind of uh, what style do you prefer? Do you prefer the finesse fighter? Or do you prefer the, uh, the pressure guy who lands the harder punches? Um, while uh, Estrada... Uh, was making uh, Rungvisai fight his fight, or was Rungvisai actually making Estrada fight his fight? I don't know, but you have to be impressed that Rungvisai, not only did he uh, keep his composure at the fact that, you know, he wasn't able to get inside and, and fight rough like he did in uh, Roman Gonzalez's fight and his other fights like he's used to, but, you know, he was able to uh, keep his stamina. Um, you know, I was impressed by that. Friday I mentioned, you know, not only does he average six fights a year, but he averages about six rounds per fight. And for all 12 rounds, he didn't really, um, he didn't seem to fade. In fact, they both closed that very strong. Um, my opinion, you know, the right guy won, Juan Francisco Estrada. I don't think that his stock dropped any in this loss because it was very competitive. I was a bit, and uh, with all the, most of the fights on here, I was a bit bothered by the scores. Um, you know, Kathy Leonard and Dave Moretti, you know, okay. Uh, yeah, Dave Moretti had to draw. Kathy Leonard, uh, two points for Rungvisai. And then Steve Marrow, that 117-111 scorecard, which seems to be a mandatory on any big fight nowadays. So, you know, that kind of takes away from it. But I, um, I really do think that Rungvisai has improved as a fighter, and he's just getting better. So, you know, I, I was very pleased with the fight overall and the way they both closed it out and the way they both handled themselves. So I, I really uh, I enjoyed it. I have no complaints. And uh, now the next fight to see, you know, has got to be Rungvisai against the monster Inouye. I, I tell you, I, I think you're 100% right, and I agree with you. He is getting better. And, I was you know, saying that, the same thing when and, you said it. And that's scary because this, yeah. this is a guy, you know, if he learns, if, if he gets a little more <laughs> polished with skill set, he's going to be a tough out. Sal, I got a question for you. And, yes, and Dax, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, I'm sure you did. But right from the very first round, Rungzavial was drinking water. They were giving him water. And usually, you know, the, halfway through the fight, they'll start letting them intake it. But a lot of times they'll rinse it out, cool, cool them off. They don't want to get all, you know, full of water. And a lot of discussion has been about his rehydration. He, he ended up weighing close to 135 pounds by, by fight night. Um, wow. What do you – why would a fighter be drinking water so early in the fight? I mean, he did it in between the first and second round. He, he took a couple of good-sized gulps of – of water. I mean, what would be the reason for that? Well, the legs. Remember, 
and we spoke about that, and anybody who's seen him notices those tree trunk calves of his. Um, people, you know, if you know, and Sal, uh, you know, can reinforce this, Bill, you know this already, that it takes more to feed muscle than it does to feed fat. And when you have so much muscle and you're dehydrating yourself down there to make weight and you're gaining that 15 pounds overnight, you have to get that muscle back into shape. You have to get that water back into there or else you're going to end up cramping up. The fact that he came in just slightly under 130 pounds during the official weigh-in earlier in the day, and by the time the fight came, maybe he was 135, maybe even 140 pounds. So, you know, he had to keep that water going or else if he did not, what was going to happen is that his legs were going to get tired, he was going to slow down, he was going to cramp up, he wouldn't be mobile, and of course he was going to lose power on top of that. So he had to keep hydrating himself. To me also, that's another clue that maybe 115 pounds isn't going to be the division for him too much longer. He's going to have to move up another division. What do you think? I'll tell you what, it's, uh, I concur with a lot of what Dax just said. Uh, and, you know, you you almost want to see uh, what you can do as a preventive or, or as a precaution. And if he was hydrating himself, uh, maybe he anticipated, you know, whatever dehydration process or drying out process we call it uh, before the weigh-ins. That's why today it's so important that uh, people know that, you know, it, that was that was what we were very concerned about when we had the same day weigh-ins. I mean, when I hopped off a scale, if I dried out 24 hours before and I didn't drink anything, I usually had a bottle of Gatorade and a banana uh, to just to get some uh, uh, potassium back in my system as, as quickly as possible. And, you know, but now you got to think about it. You got 24 hours a day before the weigh-ins. I mean, day before the fight for the weigh-ins. And, and that's part of the reason why. So you have time to rehydrate yourself, which I don't agree with. I think it should be same-day weigh-ins. But neither here or there, that would be a precautionary uh, uh, step, I think. Uh, and to, you know, keep water in the radiator, you know, as a preventive measure. Uh, who knows? I wouldn't want to ingest too much water before a, before a fight or before an athletic event just because, you know, it would uh, it would, might bog you down. It might uh, upset your stomach. And, and for me, I know. Well, but but I, I would like to have a little bit uh, to, keep, uh, to keep the joints and everything else uh, ready to go and to hydrate myself because you are going to be losing a lot of uh, water and minerals and vitamins as you perspire during the course of a fight. No, I, I listen – I know why they do it, and, and a lot of fighters will start intaking water halfway through the fight, but this guy was, was drinking in the middle. I think uh, the, uh, the to prevention of cramping the legs makes a, a lot of sense. But, oh, uh, and they hurt, um, Bill, when they cramp up like oh, that. Oh, oh, I you, I, that's why. I, I, I remember what my legs used to feel like. And when they cramp, there's nothing, you can't do anything about it except let it go its course. Yeah, point, and, uh, point your toes, point your toes. But uh, Sal, I mean uh, <laughs> Dax, uh, the Diani Nientes against Juan Carlos uh, Revico. Um, what a what a showcase fight for Nientes. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't believe that the fans were booing him or booing the fight uh, because you know, and 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 I will say this: in most of the time in these uh, smaller weights, I mean, you see a lot of action, uh, and Nientes was was really showing that. This guy's a he's got his skill set is really second to none. I mean, he was very accurate with his punches. He was hard to hit. He made uh, Juan Carlos Revco look ordinary at best, and he did, in my opinion, a classic breakdown his fighter and then finished him off. What was your thoughts on that fight? 
Yeah, well, first, you know, as far as the to address the booing, you know, I agree, uh, you know, be, maybe because of the action that the fans were expecting, which, you know, these lower weight classes always do provide, that could have been one thing, maybe um, the fans, because they were not familiar with uh, Nietes, or they're not overly familiar with Rebico, and they wanted these guys to step it up and give them a reason, you know, I, I'm not really sure why, but um, you hit it right on the head when you speak about the... Um, the ability of Nietzsche's. I spoke about that on Friday, stating, you know, this guy's been a champion since 2004. That's not by accident. He's been a champion in three weight classes. Um, that's not by accident, you know, in his uh, mid-30s and the fact that he's only stayed within those short little weight classes between six and eight pounds, you know, just speaks of his conditioning, it speaks of his dedication, and it speaks of his skill set. Uh, you know, he definitely, definitely went in there and showed that Don Nietzsche's is one of the best Filipino fighters of all time in case you haven't seen him before then somebody can, you know, follow his career, look him up, uh, see what fights he's had on YouTube. You know, he's, he's a great fighter. He was doing a lot of subtle things, and he was doing stuff that, you know, a guy, you know, a fighter at that weight class in his mid-30s is a lot like, you know, a fighter in upper weight classes in their 40s, like maybe a Bernard Hopkins at age 45 or something like that, where, you know, you have to start relying on uh, different things besides your natural athletic ability because, you know, it's faded and it's left, and Donnie Nietes does that. Now, I, uh, I was angry with uh, not only the California State Commission, but also with uh, referee Eddie Hernandez Sr. Um, I was really peeved, you know, by what happened in that fight. You know, the fact that, uh, you know, at the, the end of that sixth round when uh, Nietes landed that really hard punch to Rebico, and it caused that delayed reaction was scary. Um, I say scary, not because it was a huge punch, but it was a well-placed punch that had that delayed reaction, which also, you know, usually means that, you know, there was a bad neurological disruption. You know, it's not like a body punch, you know, or a liver punch was a delayed reaction, and, you know, it's oh, suddenly the body tells the mind, you know, I'm hurt, I have to go down. You know, those type of delayed reactions to the head means that, you know, the brain itself is not able to tell anything else, even respond to, you know, the main database is not able to react and say, you know, we're hurt. You know, our body has a self preservation mode. That's what happens when a fighter gets hit hard and the brain, you know, moves over to one side and they have these one-punch knockouts that, you know, uh, the fans would love to see. You know, that did not happen and the corner over there was complaining that it was after the bell and then the referee comes over and then, you know, they're uh, assessing him. The commission's assessing him and then after that he has an extra 30 seconds. He gets up and he's still on rubber legs. You could see his leg move. Um, you know, he almost lost his footing um, when he went out there. It's almost like uh, he missed a step coming off a curb and, you know, he almost kind of buckled forward and he took some unnecessary punches after that. You know, that was scary and I uh, believe, you know, the commissioner, referee and the corner of uh, Rebico dropped the ball. But, you know, it was a great fight. It uh, showed uh, Don Nietzsche, you know, is the real deal, how much time he has left. I'm not really sure, but I enjoyed that. And, you know, it really did show that uh, Don Nietzsche is a complete fighter. He has power. He has boxing ability. And, unfortunately, we're seeing him here in the States at the end of his career instead of maybe five or ten years ago when he would have been really a big star. Um, finally, uh, the other two fights, and, and we did uh, – uh, my mistake uh, on Friday, I, for some reason, I had the Brian Valoria fight and the Kudras fight uh, against McWilliams Arroyo. You know, this fight was kind of weird for me. Kudras is a guy that seems to have a, a big following. He's got the, the charisma and the personality. He's, he's an action-packed fighter, um, but he's not looked that great lately. Uh, McWilliams Arroyo was a fighter, not, I'm not taking anything away from him. I don't know if Kudras took him lightly or whatever the case was. I did think that the fight was a little closer uh, than the outcome. I, I thought uh, Kudras 
kind of won the fight. But the truth of the matter is, is he didn't throw enough punches. I mean, these fighters, you can't expect to win if you're not throwing punches. I, you know, it's the same thing with the Estrada fight. Estrada Combo, I beat him in the last three rounds. Well, what about the first nine? You know, you, you, you let them get too close. Was this a case for Kudra's stacks? No, again, you know, I have to reference the scores again. You know, 97-93 by Tony Krebs, 98-92 by Pat Russell, which are pretty much uh, the same. Um, you know, maybe one guy seen something in one round, the other one didn't. Then uh, Fernando Villarreal has it, you know, 95-95. I, I don't understand, you know, what they seen there, uh, what he's seen there. Anyway, uh, you know, when things are like that, too wide of a margin or even too close like that, it really does take away from the ending of the fight, whatever happened. You know, you're almost you know, shaking your head, looking more at the decision than what happened. You know, as far as uh, Kudras, this is a guy here who, in my opinion, over his last three or four fights, um, is looking for excuses to blame other people. Uh, Abel Sanchez is his third or his fourth trainer in many fights. And Carlos Kudras, he didn't listen to Sanchez when Sanchez told him, you know, use your jab more, throw more punches. He just went out there looking for every punch to be a home run punch. He did the same thing early on in the uh, Juan Francisco Estrada fight. So Carlos Kudras, you know, it's going to be up to him to make some adjustments and get back to using the jab and get back to the constant pressure like he did when he was a champion if he ever expects to regain that. Um, as far as um, uh, Arroyo, that's the best I've ever seen Arroyo look for a full fight uh, the one thing that he's going to have to fix in my opinion is the showboating maybe he was a little bit um, happy with himself that he was in such control but you know the the, the making the noise the, the showboating the letting Kudras pretty much know when every punch was coming if uh, Arroyo really wants to have another successful performance and he wants to step up and be able to get another title shot or even be, uh, remain competitive with those big uh, those big names whether or not it's a uh, Rungvisa or whether or not it's uh, an Anui you know he's going to have to you know change his habits a little bit as well but uh, both those guys right now I think you know they're in the lower half of that division but uh, you know um, you know a couple changes Kudras isn't getting any younger so he's gonna have to uh, make some adjustments he's gonna have to stick with Abel Sanchez and as uh, far as the Royal goes same thing he's gonna have to make a few adjustments and those guys are uh, you know looking another year or two and they're gonna leave and that uh, division is gonna thin out because the other guys are gonna move up yeah I, uh, I you know I, I agree with you I, I thought that uh, it's almost like Kudras felt that he already won this fight and it was like a showcase fight uh, you know, could he have uh, taken uh, McWilliams Arorio lightly? And and for Arorio's case, he might have fought the best fight of his career on Saturday. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see next time out. But uh, one interesting note, real quick. Um, if you remember during the thing, and, and, I, and I agreed on it 100%, and you, you hinted towards it too. Kudras is a likable guy. He has a great personality, and that's one of the things you like about him. You know, it's almost as if, you know, he gives off this aura to say, you know, uh, give me some of your time. I promise we're going to have some fun. You're going to be entertained. And, and you are. But Jim Lampley, I believe, uh, is the one who said, and he hit it right on the head. If Canelo had the personality or some, some of the charisma of Carlos Kudras that he displays, he'd be even a bigger star and a bigger pay-per-view draw than what he is. Uh, he'd probably double his pay-per-view sales and I happen to agree with that I think Canelo could spend some time with Kudras and you know kind of pick up a little bit of that swagger well you know the the, the truth of the matter is is you need the whole package you got to have the swagger you got to have the personality and oh by the way you got to be able to fight too <laughs> you know <laughs> we've we've seen we've seen a lot of guys with a great personality but they can't fight you know but uh 
Uh, well, Canelo it, can do, but Canelo can fight. So. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting Canelo can't <laughs> no, fight. No, I'm saying Canelo, Canelo can fight. So now all he needs is a little bit of charisma. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is you make a good point, Dax, because Kudras does not know English either. You know, the big excuse that we're always making for Canelo is, well, he doesn't really speak English that well, although he's trying, you know, and that's uh, there's a language barrier. That's why he's not. But he's got this air about him. Like, a, like you know, one of those superstar jocks in high school that think that right. they're better than everyone else. That's what I see when I see Canelo. You know, he's he's kind of – and then Golden Boy uh, uh, doesn't help any by, by putting him up on that pedestal. So, yeah, I think Canelo's a little conceited, and uh, hopefully uh, that'll change uh, come uh, Cinco de Mayo. But finally, um, the fight we didn't get to see, Brian Valoria against uh, our, our team, uh, Delakian. Um, I guess this is, I mean, listen, I think it's safe to say that Brian Valoria is, it's his career is over. I mean, he went to the well once too often. Uh, I did not see anything from Delakian, uh, on his resume that would indicate that this was going to be a real test for Brian Valoria. Now, granted, Delakian certainly performed well. He dominated this fight from start to finish. Uh, but what does that tell us? Is it telling us that Delakian is a lot better than we thought, or Brian Valoria is a shot fighter. What do you think, Dax? Well, two things. One, that Brian Valoria, yes, you know, again, he's a guy that's in his mid-30s. Um, he's got over 40 fights. Um, a lot of them were tough fights, as we spoke about on Friday. And as far as Delakian, yeah, you know what? I mentioned myself that only two or three fights ago, he was fighting a guy who had lost four of his prior six before then, and he lost nine of his 11 since uh, his loss to Delakian. Question that KO power. And uh, Valoria kind of answered that question on really how hard of a hitter is he because, you know, he stepped up to that next level. But Delakian did show some impressive boxing skills. Skills. He's raw. Make no no question about that. He's raw. For example, when Valoria would come in close, Delakian, at times he would uppercut, but also at times he became a little bit confusing, just kind of leaned down on him. Not purposely, I don't believe, but, you know, just out of uh, not really being sure on how to continuously handle this. He moved around on his, uh, his bike well. He jabbed at a distance well. I'd like to see him maybe slow that down a little bit and not waste as much energy. The elbow at the uh, 11th round where uh, Lumaret and the commission dropped the ball on that, you know, was vicious. And again, that wasn't really, uh, that that wasn't um, intentional. You can see, because that fight was shown on Ring TV, that, you know, Delackey more or less, he, he kind of uh, threw a little bit too early and Valoria was coming in there. But, you know, at that point in time, it was already too late because unless Valoria had uh, went and scored a uh, sensational 12th round knockout, which wasn't going to happen, you know, he had already lost the fight. That was the only uh, fight that all three judges happened to agree on. I think it was 118-109, uh, which, you know, in my opinion, was the exact correct scoring. So I'd like to see Galakian uh, just a little bit. Brian Valoria, as you stated, I think his career for all intents and purposes is over. So uh, Delakian, the bad news about him is he's 30 years old and he's a 115-pound fighter, so he doesn't have a lot of time to adjust. But if he can, I think Delakian, you know, he, he might be uh, something worth watching. You know, so maybe here in the States, you know, a few more fights. So it's, it's interesting. Question mark out on him. But uh, remember, Rungvisai, just a year ago, we really knew nothing about him. And look what happened there. This is true. Uh, Dax, true. before we let you go, I, I know um, you, you indicated real quick. I, I actually saw it uh, uh, when you when you put it up there uh, uh, in our communication tool. But um, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about was the FDA had introduced a new testing option um, for um, to help uh, determine if there's a, uh, a problem with the bleeding on the brain or, or a lesion on the brain or whatever. And 
the device of this, and it's a blood test basically, and the device of this could really change the sport of boxing and all uh, contact sports because, um, you know, one of the cries I always hear from promoters and stuff is the cost of a, of a CAT scan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, some commissions require it, some don't. Some require it after a knockdown, some don't. Uh, but if it was able to be performed via a blood test, at least initially, and then depending upon those results to further order more, I think the safety of the fighters would go up immensely. For an example, this new uh, test, uh, which, uh, um, you know, they're calling it the first blood test. Uh, when they did, did the uh, study, which got it approved from the FDA, uh, slightly under 2,000 uh, patients uh, from blood samples, they were able to determine that 97.5% of the time when there was uh, a, a problem with that brain, whether it be in a lesion or, or bleeding on the brain, came out and found it, 97.5. Wow. And, and in, in, the, in the cases where there was a normal scan, the blood test was able to determine 99.6% of the time of its accuracy. These kinds of uh, uh, results are, are, are extraordinary, and I can't see what would hold any commission back from utilizing this. Dax, what's your thoughts on this? Well, um, it's absolutely, you know, the cost. We speak about this all the time. You've been speaking about this since I've known you, and um, I've heard other people too, but, you know, you've been really adamant on we need the testing of the, the CT scans or the MRI scans before these fighters turn profession because what might be a normal CT scan or MRI scan for you or Sal might not be the right one for me. Mine might be different, but, you know, even though that's normal. Now, um, ne and next month I have to have a, a surgery down in Mount Sinai Medical Center, which is one of the premier medical centers in the uh, the world. Now, this, this blood test that you're speaking about, you know, when it comes to neurological uh, testing, neurological studies, there's a doctor that's called a neuropsychologist. It's not the same thing as a psychiatrist. A neuropsychologist is somebody that, you know, they'll sit down with you one time, uh, let's say, uh, before uh, you have a bad accident and you're just having these psychology symptoms. And they're going to, you know, sit down. They're going to, you know, do little tests whether or not it's, you know, can you do this with the pen? They're going to ask you questions. They're going to see your demeanor. They give you a little written thing. And then after you have an injury, what they do is they do these same things again. And what they uh, more or less do, they just kind of see your regular behaviors, you know, they look at your handshakes, you know, just, just any little thing. And then they can tell, you know what, there is some sort of a neurological difference going on here. Now, you know, they have this blood test that, you know, that, that you stated. Now, um, uh, one of my doctors down there, when I was down there last Wednesday doing my pre-surgical testing, is uh, Martin Goldstein, uh, who's also a neuroevaluator. And uh, he was telling me that, uh, you know, he watches the show on occasion. He was telling me that, you know something, he goes, we're working on a study right here, and we're trying to get in with uh, not only the NFL, but uh, the NHL, and he goes, and they're trying to work with the New York State Commission on, you know, having these uh, pre-licensing MRIs or CT scans be made mandatory and it be included with the uh, price of a uh, the, the license. And if they were willing to come and do that at the facility, the facility themselves, as long as you were going there and you presented, you know, I'm coming here, I'm turning professional, here's my thing, you know, they're going to do this test at like a minimal to almost no cost just for the safety of the fighters. You know, something that's going to be something for the betterment of the whole sport and it's coming very close to happening along with that blood test that you were speaking about. So, you know, this is uh, you know, this is huge strides for the sport as a whole. Um, you know, so hopefully, you know, th this happens sooner or later. But you know, uh, you know, just by coincidence, you happen to mention that today. I was going to be a call at some point in time this week and tell you that I spoke about that with Dr. Goldstein. You know, just came up out of the blue. But you know, they are working on that right now. And he says, you know, hopefully by the summer, this is locked in place. 
Well, good because that's uh, uh, that's a, a step in the right direction. And you're right. I've been I've been talking about that for a long time. I, I, my argument has always been to to take a a head scan first, which would have to be presumed as a normal scan. Then you give the you arm a doctor with a lot more ammunition to determine if there's a problem other than just x's and o's so to speak you know i mean what's normal for you might be not normal for me you know one of the one of the top sports injury doctors on the east coast is named nicholas blasco and uh, nicholas blasco will tell you you know something a lot of times they'll, they'll do an mri or they'll do a ct scan and it's not really showing what's happening now we'll take somebody like uh you know a t- uh, terry norris or uh, muhammad ali who developed that parkinsonisms not parkinson's but the parkinsonisms due to the blows uh that acquired over the years inside the ring now one of the tests that they need to do is an mri but it has to be a special mri that actually measures not the damage it doesn't look for any sort of uh swelling it doesn't look for any sort of uh hematomas it actually goes in there and it looks for the gray matter and sees if that gray matter is thinning out or if that gray matter is starting to separate in certain places, because if that's happening, what that means is, you know, maybe not tomorrow, as Sal was saying before, you know, um, you know, it could be damage from last fight that took place that all of a sudden caught up with somebody this fight from the smallest punch. The same thing can happen with there. You know, it, it's not going to be something where you see today, but all of a sudden two weeks from now, a guy starts um, having these really bad neurological effects, and then in, all of a sudden in that next fight, just that one fight, all of a sudden, you know, they end up really in, in a bad situation, um, like like a Joe McClellan type guy or a... Uh, 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 Muhammad Abstamalov uh, uh, type person, you know, where they end up relying on people to take care of them the rest of their life. Why? Only because that one little punch just happened to separate a little bit of, uh, you know, that one little uh, piece of tissue, that one little piece of gray matter right there that's never going to go back together. And that's why a lot of these tests are important. And they really don't cost a lot of money. And there's a lot of facilities out there that are willing to say, you know what, if you guys bring a steady stream over here, we're not going to go through insurance. We're going we're gonna to set one flat price just for you guys. And there's not going to be any excuses for these promoters that so when it comes to that point in time you know what then it's up to the fans and then it's up to the uh, uh, the, uh more or less up to the fans and the fighters to say you know what if you're not willing to do this and get this inside here for me we're going to go on with somebody else who is willing well i mean uh it, like i said it's uh it's all a step in the right direction and uh i'm glad to hear it that's for sure but yeah. uh dax appreciate your time we'll look forward to uh later in the week when we break down deontay wilder against luis ortiz and what Sal is promising to be a signature fight for Deontay. So we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> All right, everybody. Enjoy the day. <laughs> take care, Dax. Dax take care, my day. man. Uh, that's Dax Khan. And uh, you can check out his column up on BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, I like the way he kind of just smiled at that one. Uh, Sal, I think you're definitely in the minority here, brother. Hey, you know, uh, like I said, I, uh, I, I think Billy, like I said, in my heart of hearts, for whatever reason, I just believe there is a lot more to Deontay Wilder than what he's shown right now. I think he, he he's going to rise to the occasion when given that that level of opposition he's got to meet and exceed. I, I do. I just feel in my heart of hearts. He, I, 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 I think he's a better fighter than what you think he is. I think he's a better fighter than what he's shown thus far. And I think when uh, the rubber meets the road, he's going to rise to the occasion and show us. We'll see. Yeah, well, he's going to get his chance. That's my my observations. That's my thoughts. And that's me looking at what the scenario is at at hand. So we'll we'll see. I'm either going to be right or wrong, but we'll see. (laughs) I believe uh, believe he's he's the— 
You know, you're right. You're either going to huh? be right or wrong, Sal. <laughs> hey, that, that's a truism, isn't it? Yeah, I tell you, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You, you, Confucius got nothing on you, man. You know, I mean, uh, uh, that's for sure. But listen, you know, we both is love that Confucius or is that wait is that Confucius or is that confusion? No, you're confused. No, you're confused. But listen, um, we've been talking about the tournaments and the World Boxing Super Series tournament has really stepped up I, I love it you know i mean uh, yeah okay let's be real the super middleweight division is not a glamour division no matter what you do and uh you know I mean, so you can make that argument but it's really helped the cruiserweight division a lot and it's put the best cruiserweights in the world against each other well the wbc who seems to run by its own uh rules and uh th seems to like to think that they are the sport of boxing and don't get me wrong uh, Mauricio Suleiman uh, uh, is is trying his hardest to 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 be successful uh, with the WBC, uh, uh, following his pops uh, Jose Suleiman, um, and uh, of taking that into consideration, the WBC has uh, um, supported and put together a WBC welterweight tournament. Um, now the uh, first uh, elimination uh, fights will be taken on April, uh, taking place on April 27th. As a matter of fact, today, based on the fans, uh, they will uh, uh, tell us uh, around noontime today uh, what the first uh, matchups are. But they announced who the fighters are, and it's actually a pretty good selection of fighters. Now these names are going to be names that you probably not, you know, you probably have not heard of. But in a way, I like the fact that it's giving some of these young fighters an opportunity to fight and advance. Uh, and, and the best part is they're actually fighting against good or slash equal competition, which is something that I feel does not take place enough today. So let me just give you the uh, fighters that uh, have been selected um, Felix Diaz, who's a uh, former world title challenger, he's got a record of 19 and two with nine knockouts. Um, Chris Van Herden, uh, who's also an established fighter, uh, 25 wins, two losses, and a draw. Uh, Frederick Lawson, who's a top-ranked fighter, uh, 26 and one with 21 knockouts. Um, a Russian fighter, uh, undefeated at eight, no, with six knockouts. Uh, Rad Sab uh, Budev. Uh, and also a, a tough uh, fighter who had a lot of promise here in the States, uh, Brad Solomon. He's involved, 27-1 and one with nine knockouts uh, out of your state of Georgia. Uh, Timo Schwarzkopf, 18-1 uh, uh, with uh, 10 knockouts out of Germany. Uh, Derek Cuvis, who's 16-0 and 0, uh, out of Puerto Rico. And uh, out of China, Besh uh, Himbo Nasiwula who's 13-1. Uh, and one. Now, they also, like the other tournaments, have alternates. And uh, the four alternates that have been assigned, uh, Mauricio Pintor, who's 20 wins, three losses, and a draw. Patty Gallagher, uh, who's 13-3 and three of, uh, out of Northern uh, uh, Ireland. Uh, Sergio uh, Lubkajovic, who's 7-0 and 0, uh, out of Russia. And Francisco Santana, uh, who's a, a known fighter, 26-6. and six. So uh, I, I like the fighters in this tournament, Sal. Uh, it seems to be a younger group for the most part. And, um, you know, the tournament's the same uh, feel as the, uh, uh, as the WBSS in terms of 
you know, they're going to get their first uh, fights. They're going to know who they're fighting in the first round. And after that, it's, uh, you know, who won. And then you get to move on to fight somebody else. I like the fact that we got some American fighters in the mix. There are a couple. Yes. Uh, but uh, I think it still um, shows that the majority of the fighters that are willing to take the risk are generally fighters that do not reside in the United States. Uh, what's your thoughts on this tournament and the fact that, again, we only have a handful of uh, United States uh, representation here in this tournament? Well, you're not you're not going to see a Keith Thurman in this tournament, and we know why and everything else. But I think this is an ideal model and an ideal tournament to uh, introduce or to showcase some future good stars that can come up the ranks and that can get uh, in a position on a fast track for for the notoriety and recognition that they uh, they they were looking for. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I remember. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think ESPN was the grandfather of all this back in the 80s. They started an ESPN tournament on Thursday nights, and they would have uh, for for a lot of the weight classes, they would recognize their own champion. And a lot of these guys that were were winning these fights, including I think it was James Broadax Broad, um, uh, and they were on a fast track after they were dubbed a champion or so. And uh, they they either got an opportunity to put up or to shut up, and and so I love these kind of models and these kind of tournaments that go on. And you're like I said, you're not going to get any world champions or, or big top contenders that might want to throw their hat in a ring because they're already leveraged for what everybody's striving for, trying to be in a position for. But this is a great way to get some fighters back on track or back in a fast lane to to get up to that point to be considered a contender for the title. Well, you know, um, in this particular uh, tournament, unlike the World Boxing Super Series tournament, yeah, where you, they did take world title holders, yes, which they did. which which I enjoyed, and and I to me that really shows uh, the you know watts of the fighters. Yes, this is taking that another level fighter below. They're not That's right. jeopardizing a world title holder to put his title on the line, and uh, they're they're looking at that next level or or even the level below that maybe the third the C level but but what makes these tournaments so interesting in my opinion Sal is when they put their titles on the line and they're trying to show you that the main idea is to prove that they're the best forget about the title once again the United States fighters are reluctant to do that well they they're not going to do it because they they they're never in other words if you're a champion you've got a belt you don't have anything to prove in your mind or with your camp's mind. You're not going to be advised to enter the tournament because guess what? If you're a world champion, you're in the driver's seat. You make your mandatory every six months. You do what you got to do. You don't have to risk anything other than what you're supposed to do, and that's face the number one ranked contender in the world every couple of months. And uh, I, there's no need. There's no incentive. There's no why, why wreck a good thing for, for whatever reason. So, but what does that do? It opens up the 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 vat to uh, have all those striving to get in that position for a title fight. Uh, that tier down, that not tear, but the tier next tier down from the world champion would be the fighters that throw their hat into the ring uh, on this level. Uh, as I was suggesting, even with the ESPN or what we have now. 
So I think it's a great way to showcase and show some some of the talent out there that needs to be recognized and wants a fast track to the title shot. I think it's a, a great, great little uh, formula. Well, they'll definitely get a fast track to the WBC belt. Uh, that's for <laughs> sure. But uh, And that's the only – see, that's what I like about the World Boxing Super Series tournament better because it wasn't, it wasn't focused on one – the WBC is focused on themselves. So in their mind, the only world champion is the WBC champion. Nobody else exists to them. They don't even rank the other fighters, you know, so which, you know, is not realistic. That's why when people ask me about rankings and I say, well, the best ranking system is the IBO. And the people look at me like I got three heads. Well, any organization that will rank based on a computer ranking and their own champion is not their number one fighter shows me that there's some honesty there and that's what you get with the IBO but uh in any event um don't forget we're not doing a, a live show tomorrow uh but we will be back on Wednesday and throughout the rest of the week and we will let you know about a post fight show on Saturday following the Deontay Wilder Luis Ortiz fight from the Barclays Center chances are we will not do it because uh Sergey Kovalev is also fighting that night uh be you know after uh Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz so uh just give me uh, uh the next 24 hours to uh, uh consult with uh, Sal and we'll see what we can come up with but uh on this day February 26th in boxing history in 2005 Fabricio Tizazo knocks out Darius Mikulczewski in the sixth round to retain his WBA World Light Heavyweight title, and that took place in Germany on this day in 2005. On this day in 1994, Steve Little uh, wins a 12-round decision over Michael Nunn to win the WBA World Super Middleweight title. It took place in London. On this day in 1915, Jeff Smith wins a 20-round decision over Mick King to regain uh, the Australian World Middleweight title, and that took place in Sydney. On this day in 1926, Tiger Flowers wins a 15-round uh, decision over Harry Greb uh, to win the World Middleweight title, uh, and that took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. So obviously I was wrong. Tiger Flowers was not the guy who fought uh, Gene Fulmer. Um, I, I'm getting him confused with someone else because Gene Fulmer. Maybe Dick Tiger. Dick Tiger, yeah, that's who it was. I knew it was a tiger. I knew there was a tank. I knew there was a tiger in the tank, but uh, anyway, on this day in... T- See, that's why we keep you around, Sal, you know? You know, aside from your uh, ridiculous Deontay Wilder, uh, aside from your ridiculous Deontay Wilder statements, sometimes you come up with pretty good stuff. But uh, on this day, on this day in the year two thousand, Oscar De La Hoya knocks out Darrell uh, Coley uh, in the seventh round uh, to uh, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, De La Hoya was subsequently awarded the vacant WBC World uh, Welterweight title. That's another thing I can't stand when sanctioning bodies subsequently award their belt to somebody, and uh, Oscar was the beneficiary of that on this day in uh, the year 2000. And finally, on this day, February 26th in 1984, Rocky Lockridge knocks out um, Roger Mayweather in the very first round to win the WBA World Junior Lightweight title, and that took place in Texas on this day in 1984. 
So a lot of uh, a lot of stuff happening uh, in uh, in the world of boxing on this day uh, in years uh, gone past. But uh, don't forget, we're not here live tomorrow. We'll give you a chance to uh, catch up on some shows you may have missed. But we will be back on Wednesday. So make sure you tune in. Wednesday morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.